Um, let's uh, turn our attention to the Word. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, it's on page 732, if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you. Continuing our Advent sermon series called, called Come, Emmanuel. Um, kids, if you're tracking the word of the day, it's rule. If you're new with us, you don't know what that is. Sometimes the kids keep track of a certain word, how many times I say it. Some of their parents give them a penny for every time I say it. And uh, I have a deal with one family. If I go over a hundred, then I make up the difference. But I can only do that with one family, so the rest of you are on, on your own. Here now, God's holy, true, and life-giving word, Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion shall be, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you once again this morning for gathering us here. We thank you for your word and its power. We thank you for your son. That he would come. And die in our place. And give us his righteousness. That we could be reconciled to you through faith. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Who opens our eyes. To the truth. And empowers us. To follow our Lord Jesus. And so we pray this morning, Father, that you would be with us, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, help us see the the majesty of the Lord Jesus in this text. And let us not leave here the same. Um, Father, we pray that you would transform us, renew us, make us more like your Son, that we might be more equipped to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations, and to live for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Every Christmas I, I think about this awesome Christmas moment when a bunch of cousins were opening presents. It was my wife's cousin Max uh, that this story is about. He, at this time, was probably four or five years old. And all the cousins were sitting in a circle opening a present. The youngest first and then the second youngest and then the third youngest. Each kid was taking their turn opening their present. And so it comes to Max's turn and he's handed a present and he starts unwrapping it, gets all the paper off of it and he holds it up and it's a, it's a soccer ball. And he's just like beaming uh, with joy. I mean, his smile from ear to ear and everybody's looking at him, waiting to see what he's going to say. And looking at this soccer ball, then he, he turns and he looks at his mom and he says, Wow, I didn't even know I wanted this. <laughs> Such a classic kid Christmas moment. You know, and you know, what he's saying, he's just being honest. He's saying, if I knew, if he, he, he was saying that if he had known how much joy a soccer ball would have given to him, then he would have asked for one. But he didn't know how much joy it would bring, and so he hadn't even asked for that. And this morning we're talking about asking something of Jesus uh, that we wouldn't normally or naturally ask for. But when we do, when we cry out to Jesus for this thing, um, and when he does it, there's so much joy. And we we too say, "I, I didn't even know I wanted this. So we're in this Advent sermon series in which we've been looking at the different ways we refer to Jesus in the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so we've talked about Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Last week we talked about Jesus as our wisdom. This week we're looking at the verse, it's my favorite verse. Maybe I'll even sing it. O come thou rod of Jesse free. Thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save. And give them victory o'er the grave. Come on. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Rod of Jesse. Now, when we, when we sing that verse, as we should, we definitely focus on the second part where we sing, From depth of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Now, that's, that's the good news. That's we're celebrating the gospel, the reality that although we can't make ourselves right with God by anything that we do, God graciously sent his son to become man, to live a perfect life in our place and then die a sinner's death in our place and that through faith we receive forgiveness for all of our sins. We, we are set free from the depth of hell. We are given victory over the grave by grace through faith in Christ. It may surprise us what we're actually saying, what we're actually singing in the first part as we cry out to Jesus as the rod of Jesse. What does that mean? Notice we say, come thou rod of Jesse, 
free thine own from Satan's tyranny. And ultimately to say that Jesus is the rod of Jesse is to claim that he is this promised Messiah, promised king that we see in the Old Testament. That God promised this king, this ruler would come. It's ultimately what it means that Jesus is the rod of Jesse. He's a ruler. And when we sing this verse, we're basically asking the rod of Jesse, this good ruler, to set us free from the tyranny of an evil ruler, a bad ruler, Satan. We're saying we want to be under your righteous rule, rod of Jesse, not under the tyrannical rule of the evil one. Now, what's surprising about that is we're not saying, come set us free and then leave us alone. But rather, we're saying, rule over us. Rod of Jesse. Rule over us, and in so doing, set us free from the tyranny of Satan. It's kind of surprising, because we just, naturally, we do not want to call on somebody to rule over us, right? We don't like to be told what to do. But that's the good news of Christmas is that God has sent His Son to be this perfect ruler, this perfect King for us, not only to save us, but also to rule over us. And as He does that, as He rules over our hearts and lives, we flourish. That's how we end up truly flourishing, under the rule of a good King, King Jesus. Now here's the question, so how does Satan carry out his tyranny. What is the tyranny of Satan? What does that really mean? And why do we want to be set free from that? You know, how is Satan a tyrant? He's not physically here. He's not some uh, world dictator. So how does he carry out his tyranny? And it's really, it's, it's through lies, right? Ever since the beginning, Jesus in John eight forty four says that the devil is the father of lies, that he's been lying since the beginning. And that's ultimately how The devil tyrannizes the world by lying and getting people to believe a lie. What is that lie? The primary lie is that we will not be happy and we will not flourish under God's rule. We need to be under our own rule. That's the lie. And when we believe that, it leads to so much strife and misery. As shocking as it sounds, self-rule is satanic. That's where that comes from. That's how he tyrannizes, because he knows as we trust in ourselves and not in God, we end up oppressed by the fact that we repeatedly turn to things that can't give us the joy, can't enable us to flourish the way we want. It's how he keeps us down. It's how he holds us down. Often it isn't until like we hit rock bottom in realizing that My self-rule has not led to anything good. It's often not until then that we actually cry out for another ruler. But when we get to that point, when we see that we want a better ruler, we have the rod of Jesse. And, you know, the situation here that Isaiah is speaking into in this passage, it has to do with the fact that God was going to uh, allow the people, his people, to be pretty much wiped out. And there's this imagery of, of the stump and what that comes from is it's like this, it's God was going to allow God's people's enemies to come and, and wipe them out like, a, like they were a, a forest and that was completely clear cut and that there's nothing left. 
So it's out of a devastating reality like that that God says he's going to bring forth this ruler, bring forth someone who can truly lead God's people into flourishing. In other words, this this is a promise. We see God promising that he's not going to leave his people without the ruler they need. That he's going to send a king. And Jesus is that king. He is the rod of Jesse who frees us from the tyranny of Satan by bringing us under his rule. And that's the good news that we're celebrating this morning. That because Jesus is the ultimate king, the more he rules over us, the more we flourish. So we're going to look at that this morning in this text by looking at three different things. We want to talk about his character and his delight and the type of community that his rule creates. Okay, His character, his delight, and his community. So let's take a look at his character. Look at verses 1 and 2. And ultimately what we see is that Jesus here, uh, Isaiah is talking about this rod of Jesse and showing that he has no character flaws, no weaknesses. Okay, All of the kings that Israel had experienced in the past They had different character flaws and defects, just like you and I have character flaws and defects, which prevents us from being able to rule anyone perfectly. So here, Isaiah is saying that God is going to send this perfect rule. Look at verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot, or a rod, was the old word, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Again, so there's this imagery that that there's a clear-cut forest. There's nothing but stumps, but on one of those stumps is this little branch, and it's, and it's alive, and it's coming out, and there's a little green leaf on it. And what he's saying is, that's meant to be the image of this ruler who will come out of this devastation. And it says he will bear fruit. So he will grow up, and he will bear fruit for the people of God. Because he's unique. There's something particularly unique about him. Look at verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Rest upon this ruler. And what, what that, that makes him unique in the way that in the Old Testament we know God's Spirit would be with certain leaders, certain kings, prophets. But here's this permanence, that this leader has a permanent connection with the Spirit. And therefore, it shows us that he has wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of these characteristics that one would need to rule perfectly. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, of what makes Jesus a great king. But what Isaiah is doing here is showing that these are some of the key things that we are missing. Any human being is missing. That's why we're unable to rule. Either a lot of people or even our own lives. We're unable to rule ourselves because we have gaps. We have weaknesses. And our character defects prevent us from being able to rule anything perfectly especially our own lives. And here's this rod of Jesse, and he can rule perfectly. So, best video game ever. Super Mario Kart. (laughs) Right? Remember Super Mario Kart? Nintendo 64? Um, I think they still have it. It's It's the greatest... Video game, and it was so much fun, you would drive a go-kart. You know, you have a little paddle, and on the screen there's these little go-karts, and they all have different characters in them. Okay, so there was Bowser and Donkey Kong and Princess and Toad, and of course Mario and Luigi. And we would, you'd gather around, everybody would choose their character, and then you'd race. Now what's interesting about that game is all of the options, all the characters have both strengths and weaknesses. So for example, 
You might go with Bowser or Donkey Kong. They're big and sturdy. You can't knock them off the trail, but they're slow. So a lot of people would go for either Princess or Toad. They were super fast, but they're really light and flimsy, and you could knock them off the trail really easy. Sometimes people would go for either Mario or Luigi. They were uh, average, you know, not too fast, not too slow, not too sturdy, not unstable. Here's the thing. If you were playing that game, and one of the options had all the strength, no weaknesses, all the sturdiness, all the speed, I mean, you would absolutely, that's who you would choose, right? You wouldn't say, okay, here's, here's a, a, a player that is, is totally fast and totally sturdy, but I, I'm going to go with this one who's not fast, right? I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense, right? And what we see in the rod of Jesse when it comes to rule and king. Why would we want anyone other than the one who's perfectly designed to rule over us? Why would we want to even rule ourselves when we have this perfect ruler who knows exactly what we need at all times? He has all the wisdom. He can see the whole picture. He has complete understanding. He knows how all things relate together. His counsel is always wise direction. He'll always tell us what to do. And he has might. He has the power to help us. He has knowledge. He knows exactly what's true and what's not true. And... The fear of the Lord. He always, always defers to God's will. That's the ruler that we need. And it's under that kind of ruler that we really truly flourish because we're not sidelined by our weaknesses or the weakness of another, a human being who's just a human being. And the more we think about that, the more we realize, yes, I do want you to rule over me, rule over the way I handle my finances, rule over the way I handle my marriage, rule over the way I parent. Because that's how I will flourish. Because he's the perfect king. Not only, not only is he perfect because of character, because of what he's like, but also what he delights in. Look at verses 3 through 5. Because what you see, Isaiah shows us that Jesus delights in doing what is right in God's sight. He delights in doing the right thing. Look at that verse 3. It says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Reverence for God. Honor for God. Doing what is right. In God's sight. And that word delight is very interesting. It's a Hebrew word that um, has the same root word as, you, as a word we would translate as smell. So it's very interesting if you think about it. He's saying that his delight, if you think of the nuance of smell, think about, think about either Thanksgiving that you just had or Christmas dinner that you will have. You know that moment when the smell of the meal first comes through and hits you? And you're like, oh, I'm going to punish that turkey you know what i'm talking about and you're and you're like you just you're beginning to salivate and there's this uh, there's just delight because of what you're about to eat thinking about doing what's right in the sight of god that's 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 how jesus is that's the kind of king he is he del- absolutely delights in doing what is right which is totally different than you and me. We don't always delight in doing what's right, which makes us not as good a ruler for our lives. Look how it says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, he's not influenced by what, how things look or what people are saying. Okay? But we are. We're very influenced by the way things look and what people are saying. He is not. He's laser focused on what is right. Verse 4 and 5, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike them 
Strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness, verse 5, shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In other words, Jesus doesn't take advantage of anyone, but actually cares for those who have been taken advantage of, and also ensures justice. In fact, that's what you see in verse 4. You see that that this king uh, cares about mercy. He cares about the poor and the marginalized. And he cares about justice. He cares about wickedness being dealt with. You know, last night at the Andrew Peterson concert, it was really an eye-opening moment when he showed this video. Andrew Peterson showed a video from the International Justice Mission, IJM. Some of you probably heard of them. It's a Christian organization. It's made up of lawyers and other professionals. And they make up the world's largest anti-slavery organization. Did you know that there's more slaves today than there has ever been in the history of the world? Human trafficking, uh, for sex trafficking, as well as just straight-up slavery. Uh, it's, it's alive and well in the world. And the IJM uh, works to fight against that. In fact, what they do is they... They identify people and places where slavery is is happening and they work with local law enforcement to conduct raids and they literally kick down doors and burst into these brothels and pick up these children and rescue them. And at the same time, the, the authorities come in and they arrest men who are doing this and put them in jail. And they do that because of their king, because they're ruled by... They're kings, so they care about mercy, rescuing these young girls and these women. And and they care about justice, bringing wicked people to justice. What's what's really cool is last night they had an opportunity to give and $21,000 was raised uh, for the IJM. So we praise the Lord for that. But because Jesus delights in doing what is right for the Lord, that's why he loves mercy and he ensures justice. And as we are ruled by him, as he rules over us, we too then, we, our hearts break and we long to be merciful. We long to help people get the justice that is deserved. So he delights in what is right. But also, thirdly, community. The third thing that Isaiah talks about here is the the, the community that results from the rule of Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 9 and see that under his rule... There's just complete harmony and peace. Now, this is a picture of the future. This is a picture of a time from now when the new heavens and new earth are here. When Jesus has returned and he has made all things new and everyone that's here is under his rule. And just notice this. You know, it's a metaphor. But look look at the way you just see these animals that would be trying to kill each other completely... At peace with one another. Look, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. Nursing child shall play over the Whole of a cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Look at verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, when 
when Jesus returns and establishes the kingdom here on earth in full and is reigning over all things, it will be heaven on earth, right? The peace and the harmony of the new heavens and new earth is is beyond our imagination. But even now, the more that we submit to the rule of Christ, the more that we're ruled by him, even now, we are made able to be more harmonious with others. He transforms us. He makes us able to have true and deep relationships and friendships. John Calvin says this about this passage. He says that Isaiah illustrates that when people have been brought into a state of favor with God and have been cleansed from their depravity by the spirit of regeneration... So what he's saying is when people have come to know the Lord, when they've received Christ by faith and they've been regenerated, meaning they've been given a new heart, and the Holy Spirit is within them, okay, he says, they will likewise be free from every hurtful disposition. They will likewise be free from every hurtful disposition. See what he's saying? He's saying that the, when we, as, we, as we are ruled by Christ, under his rule, The way we hurt people is dealt with. Under Jesus' rule, we're transformed into into being more harmonious with others. He makes us more able to be in real community, to really love one another, to really serve one another. We need that. We need someone who rules over us in such a way that we become more and more of a blessing to the people around us. Because we also need community. Do you know they did a... Uh, I've never heard of a study this long, but there was a 72-year study conducted by Harvard University. 72 years. And what they were studying is what makes people happy. And it's interesting because the director of the study, he was a study not the whole time, but for a long time, a guy named George Valiant was the director of the study. And he said it all boils down to this, the quote, the only thing that really matters in life is your relationships to other people. So what what is that saying? What that's saying is, as they studied happiness for 72 years, over all those decades, it was very clear that happy people have good relationships. Uh, Another researcher, a guy named Daniel Goleman, who's a researcher on neurobiology, he says the most fundamental revelation of the discipline of neurobiology is that we are wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that science has discovered that the way God has made us is for relationship. It's for community. So much so that when we actually engage with a person, not on Facebook, but in person, our brains connect in a way that they can determine, they can see it. Because we're made for that. We're made to have these rich, life-giving relationships. So what gets in the way of a life-giving, rich relationship with another person? Uh, For me, it's my sin. What prevents me from having really good, rich, deep relationships is my sin, my selfishness, ultimately my self-rule. You know, I think about how this, uh, as I was thinking about this this week... You know, I think where, where I see this play out the most is in my marriage um, and the havoc that my self-rule wreaks on me and on my marriage. Because whenever Hannah and I get 
in an argument or a fight, which is 99.9% of the time my fault. Um, But when we do, there's two kings that seem to want to call the shots. There's King Matt. And King Matt says stuff like, you need to win at all costs. King Matt says things like, don't apologize. You let her apologize. King Matt says, stand your ground, dude. You are right. You actually know you're not right, but let's pretend you're right. (laughs) And what happens? Disconnection. And then another king speaks and says, Matt, love your wife as I love the church and gave myself up for her. Hear the words of our king in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I see that I'm part of the church. That's, that's about what Jesus has done for me. That he really is right. He doesn't have to do anything. But instead of leaving me in my sin, he came to redeem me. He laid his life down for me so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have that relationship, right? And so then I hear my king's voice ruling over me saying, in the same way husbands should love their own wives. And under the rule of King Jesus, I have this... Through the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to go to her and approach her and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. and I'm an idiot. And connection. Right? It's just amazing. Then our relationship is stronger. It's deeper. It's just better under the rule of a good king like Jesus. When we rule over ourselves, it will always drive disconnection. Because we can't do anything about our hurtful dispositions, as Calvin says, right? We're helpless. We need a king. We need a better ruler than ourselves. And under the rule of Jesus, the rod of Jesse, we get rewired for these deep and meaningful relationships. And the kind of community that's going to be there in the new heavens and new earth, it's it's so hard to imagine, but we can experience bits and pieces of it now. You want a better marriage? Come more and more under the rule of the king, the good king. You want better friendships? Come more and more under the rule of the one true good king. You want better relationships with your parents or your children? Come more and more under the rule of the king who was sent not only to save us on the cross, but to rule over us, setting us free from the tyranny of Satan. It's like Matthew Henry says, the better we know God, the better we know the God of love, the more we shall be changed into his same likeness. And that's what happens. As he rules over us through the work of the Holy Spirit, he makes us more like him. And in the new heavens and new earth, we will be, we will be like him. We will be made perfect. And we'll live in perfect harmony with everybody forever. Let's grab as much as we can of that right now. Living 
under the rule of the one good king. Let's pray. Father. I want to confess, Lord, that I, I, I love to rule myself. But I also see by your grace and your word and my experiences that I'm so much happier under the rule of the rod of Jesse. And so I just ask for myself and for our church that you would um, make us long for the return of Jesus when we are in complete submission to his rule. And even now, by your spirit, give us a longing and a desire to come more and more under his rule, that we might be transformed. And we pray all these things. In his name, amen.